0: Well, hey, we are continuing a series that we're calling Lessons Learned, and we've been going through a whole bunch of different things that I've learned over time. You know, it was over 30 years ago that I became a Christian, and I really didn't have a whole lot of a clue as to what was going on with Christianity. And so there's a variety of different things that I've picked up along the way. Last week, we talked about baptism. This week, we're going to talk about The book. We're going to talk about the Holy Bible. So, as a new believer, and even before I was a Christian, I knew that the Bible was the Christian holy book. You know, you'd see people carry it around, you know, and the Gideons would put them in the hotel rooms. And I remember traveling I imagine on the wrestling team and there's a Gideon Bible in the drawer and just kind of looking through it a little bit and seeing what it is and just uh, it's a very important book very very important book in fact the most uh, widely sold book in the history of the world is (laughs) the Bible so it's big stuff what is the Bible well the term Bible comes from the Greek word and it simply means book or more literally, it's plural books. So it means the books. That's what Bible means. So our Bible, which, you know, like this one is the Protestant canon. So 66 books written by about 40 different authors. We're not exactly 100% sure of the authorship of each book. And those books are written over more than a thousand year span of time. So, this is a compilation of a whole bunch of different smaller books written by a whole bunch of different people over a really, really long period of time. So, it's an interesting thing. It's pretty cool. And of course, when I was a brand new believer, I knew the company line about the Bible. I knew that you're supposed to say you believe in the Bible. And that it's true and that sort of thing. And now I understand those ideas in more detail. You know, in the assemblies of God, Good Hope Church is an assembly of God church. I'm an assembly of God pastor. And so, one of the things that I uh, sign that I believe is that the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. And we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. You know, that's the company line that even down to the word choices the bible is inspired by the holy spirit through the the writers or the speakers who were dictating so That's what we believe. But as a new follower of Jesus, I had to go through my own process to figure out if I trusted the Bible. I mean, I just didn't know anything I had. You know, when I first got saved, God appeared to me in a vision as an answer, direct answer to prayer, instantaneous answer to prayer. And yet I just didn't know anything. I'm like, who is this God? What is going on? Have I lost my mind? You know, there's all these different questions that I had. And so one of those questions that early on presented itself was, what am I supposed to do with the Bible? I know it's the Christian holy book, and I don't know what to do with it. So the first thing I did was I decided okay, I don't know anything about Christianity. I don't know anything about any religion. So I'm just going to read the Bible for 10 years without studying theology or different commentaries or books about the Bible. I'm just going to read the Bible. So I made a commitment. I got a clean slate. I'm gonna keep it that way as best I can. We're gonna do 10 years of just the Bible. So that was my plan starting off. Now, I still went to church. I went to Bible studies. I went to conferences. I've of course heard people preach and teach on the Bible, but I think you know what I mean. I didn't try to find a theological construct and then interpret the Bible through that theology. Instead, I thought, well, I'm going to learn what the Bible says, and then I can evaluate the theological constructs. All right. Seemed like a good plan to me. I did study philosophy during that time. I was going to college when I got saved, studying something else, and I just thought none of this matters. You know, this world is a secondary reality. There's there's a spiritual reality, an eternal reality that is way beyond this one, and this world no longer was all that interesting to me. So I, you know, got kind of depressed with the whole heaven and hell thing, and all that was kind of difficult to grab hold of. And so I had quit school and that sort of deal and was just kind of wandering. But then I went back to college because I didn't know what else to do as a uh, young adult. So I went back to college and studied philosophy. And for me, it was extraordinarily helpful. I had great professors there at Bemidji State uh, and also Northern Illinois University. So shout out to my alma mater's. And really had a good time studying philosophy because I I wanted to understand, you know, can we trust what we experience and what we think? So I wanted to study logic. I wanted to study the limits of human knowledge. I wanted to find out what actually exists and what doesn't exist, you know, Uh, and philosophy helps you do that as well as helps you question your presuppositions. And one of the great presuppositions that I had was atheism. So studying philosophy was very helpful in allowing me at least a crack in the armor of my belief in atheism. So through philosophy, I was able to see, now atheism is not uh, you know an ironclad, solid worldview. There, there is reason to doubt atheism. So that's enough room for me to have faith. And these were things I was working through. And at the same time, I'm trying to understand, do I trust the Bible? So as a new believer, now I'm maybe five years in, I'm uh, in the middle of my master's degree in philosophy and uh, Pastor Wayne from the church I was going to asked me what my perspective on the Bible was. Do I believe the Bible's true? And I said, you know, I believe that God is real and God is powerful and he interacts with us. And I believe in prayer and I believe also in the, ability of human beings to mess up the things of God and I see a whole lot of fingerprints on this book. That's what I told him. And he kind of wasn't sure what to do with it. <laughs> I you know, cuz basically I was saying, I bet people have messed this up. You know, I bet there's something good from God, but I bet people have messed it up. That was where I was at 5 years in and he didn't really know what to do with that. So I was a little difficult to deal with. So anyway, that's where I was. I wasn't sure about the whole book. And I was diligently studying the scriptures at the same time. So it wasn't just that I had, you know, a Bible off to the side and wasn't really trying to find out what it said. How am I supposed to trust something? I haven't even read it. You know, I mean, I don't even know what it says. So I'm studying the Bible. I'm digging in that one summer, that same year, I listened to the whole Bible three times through just in in a three month period of time. I went through the whole Bible three times and the new Testament seven more times. So I did the new Testament 10 times and the old Testament three times in a three month period, just to try to get a grasp of what does this even say, let alone do I believe it or, you know, that sort of a thing. And then I also endeavored to, Prove out the Bible verse by verse, starting in Genesis chapter one. I don't remember what year that was, but it was in that same kind of time frame. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Genesis one. If I'm going to find out if this thing is true, let me look at it verse by verse and prove it out. So Genesis one is kind of a harsh place to start when you're trying to prove out the Bible, but it's the beginning. So that's where I went. And uh, it created in me a significant challenge because I got to the place where, you know, I'm studying the Bible. I'm trying to learn the things of the Bible, but I wasn't doing it so much as a believer, but more as an evaluator, you know, like, huh, I wonder about this. And I'm looking at it and I'm studying it and I'm trying to find out what it has to say, but I'm, you know, from an academic perspective, I'm kind of evaluating what it has to say. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong at a particular stage, but I got to the place where I realized I'm going to have to make a choice here. I had studied it through, you know, I've familiarized myself with what's going on in the scriptures and the differences between the different books in the Old Testament and the New Testament and all these different things that are going on. It's actually quite complex. And Got to the point where, you know, even trying to prove it out verse by verse, it's like, well, this isn't going to work. I just don't have enough context and knowledge and understanding. And I don't think anybody else does either to be able to prove this out verse by verse. So what am I going to do? I got to the point where I knew I would have to choose between putting my faith fully in the Bible or just continuing to lean on my own understanding. You know, I was putting a lot of faith in the Bible, but I still had myself and my own understanding as the higher authority. So if I read something that didn't really make sense, I'm like, yeah, I bet that's something somebody added or it's translated wrong or, you know what I mean? I I would put my understanding over the top and evaluate the Bible. And I thought I can either continue doing that, you know, like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. When I memorized that, it was in all your ways, acknowledge him here, the 2011 NIV in all your ways submit to him, which I think is a better translation. So I was leaning on my own understanding and I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue to lean on my own understanding Or am I going to submit my understanding to the scriptures? And I evaluated the two options and I made a decision. I made a choice. And that choice was, okay, I am going to choose to, by faith, accept the Bible as the holy, inerrant, inspired word of God. I'm just going to make the decision. This is how I'm going to read the Bible. This is how I'm going to interpret the Bible. This is what I'm going to do. Holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. That's the direction I'm going. I'm no longer going to be evaluating the Bible. I am now going to be submitting to the Bible. So that was a very, very important moment in my life. And why did I make that decision? Well, the primary reason was I figured that I could face God with that decision you know, there's going to be the time when I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account for my life. Just like you, everybody is going to do that. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we hopefully we have the, the right <laughs> experience with that. Uh, you know, you want to be forgiven, set free, you want to be serving the Lord, and then that day is going to turn out really super good. So I thought, you know, if the Bible has mistakes in it and I trust it, then I can say, hey, you know, I just, I was doing the best I could. I knew I shouldn't be the number one authority. And so I I trusted the word. I felt like I could say that in front of God, but let's say it turned out to actually be the holy inspired inerrant word of God. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. And then I had to face God with that. I'm like, that doesn't sound good to me. And James 4.11 kind of rung in my spirit as I was going through this process. And James 4.11, just a very simple verse. The last part of it is the part that really stuck with me. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So we're supposed to love our." brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be unified as believers in Jesus. And so if we're speaking against one another, we are saying, nope, that part of what Jesus said is baloney. I don't believe it. So we're not keeping the law. We're judging the law and saying we know better than Jesus does. So that's basically what's going on there. And I thought, well, if if I'm not keeping the scriptures, the truths of God, I'm judging them, then that's a bad spot to be. I just don't want to be in that spot. I'm, I'd rather trust this and go forward than be in that spot. And so you can judge whether or not that's the right decision-making process, but that was my process. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to believe it. And then an amazing thing happened. And that is that the result was absolutely life-changing, I got to tell you, getting saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then believing the Bible is true are the three most significant spiritual experiences in my life. Just believing the Bible's true probably had the most practical, life-changing power for me. Now looking back, I don't believe the Bible because of that choice I made. I believe the Bible because of the power that I've seen come forth in my own life as I walk in obedience to the scriptures. That's now why I believe it, not because of, well, I'm going to face God. I'm like, wow, I've seen it work over and over and over. And that to me is so amazing. And why is that? Well, I went from 2 Timothy 3, 7 to John 8, 31 and 32 in my heart. So 2 Timothy is where uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the young Pastor Timothy, and he is telling him a whole bunch of things. And in this spot, he is criticizing false teachers. And he's saying all these things about these people that are doing it wrong. And one of the things he says is in verse 7 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he says these, these false teachers, they're always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth and that was where I was at as I was evaluating the scriptures. I'm learning. I'm finding out more of what's going on. I'm becoming more aware of what the scriptures have to say but the power of God in my life isn't exactly happening and then when I started putting this into practice, I went to John 8:31 and 32, which is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." So if you weren't with us a couple of weeks ago, go uh, watch that sermon, get caught up with that. But having the truth set you free as you walk in submission to the teachings of God is completely different than being ever learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, you know, always in process, but never getting anywhere. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly (laughs) my experience. So it was a big deal, super life-changing. And the other big part of it is now I get to be a preacher. I mean, without that decision, to trust the Bible as the holy inspired, inerrant word of God. I don't get to be a preacher. You know, I'm just preaching the Bible. Here's my preaching strategy. So if you want to be a preacher or you are a preacher, here's my preaching strategy. Hope it helps you out. Find the life-changing truths of the scripture, live them out, and then talk about them. That's it. (laughs) What does the Bible have to say about how we're supposed to live our lives? Well, then go do it. And what happens? Then tell people about that. That's my basic strategy. So I think it's a good strategy. And I also had a friend, a mentor to me named Doug, who was a great, 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 great guy. Helped me out a ton as a young pastor. And one thing he said to me is, you know, Mike, the, uh, the Bible has its own anointing. So if you read the Bible, then God can do something in the hearts of the people. If you just say your own fun ideas, whatever, then you can be off on your own. Read the Bible, it's got its own anointing. I thought, yes, that is right. I want to have anointed preaching. I want the spirit to be there. I want God to be touching lives. And if I say everything wrong, but at least I'm reading out of the scriptures, God can use that. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going that way. Very, very important. So thank you, Doug, for that wise counsel. And for the preachers out there, I want to go to Second Peter. This is a little harsh. Chapter two, verses one through three, and just say, Watch out for this. Watch out for this because you carry a heavy calling when you speak. Basically, you speak for the faith. You speak for the Lord. Uh, That's a scary, scary thing. And you don't want to fall into being a false teacher. So let me just read this and uh, take it to heart if you're a pastor. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So look at that. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. That means that people will make up stuff in order to get you on board with them. And that's a scary, scary thing. So preachers, don't be making stuff up. Teach the truths of God. Very, very important. Teach from the Bible. And for everyone else, if you're not a preacher or a Bible study leader or someone who has discussions about the scriptures, because then you're teaching. If you're discussing and you're making, taking a stand of some sort, everyone else read the Bible for yourself. So you're not so easily exploited. You know, I remember after that 10 year period going and looking at some theologies and going, wow, I don't remember anything like that in the Bible. You know, like this is bizarre, the places people have gone in their theologies. You're not nearly as easy to exploit when you have your own personal experiences in the scriptures. That's kind of the, the process I went through in trusting the Bible. And there's, of course, many more things that could be said. But my goal today is I want to help you. I want to help whoever. I want to help people see the scriptures the right way, engage with the scriptures the right way, so that we can all be able to apply what we learn and unlock the power of God in our lives, in our churches, in our society, you know, through the world. Let's see the scriptures the right way. Let's approach the scriptures the right way. Let's learn and grow. To me, it's such a big deal. So if you're going to get one thing out of this, it's read the Bible for yourself and and be growing in your relationship with God through your study of scriptures. But I've got five things that I just want to share quickly that I picked up along the way that I think might be helpful. In order to help us approach the scriptures the right way, you know, see the scriptures the right way, understand what this is and and try to grab hold of the truths of God. Here's five things that I hope are helpful. Number 1, this I'm stealing this from Peter Haas, pastor of Substance Church down in the cities. And uh, basically, he said, adults feed themselves. And this is very important. As a Christian adult, where do you get your primary spiritual food from? If you are a mature believer, your primary spiritual food should come from your personal Time with God, your personal devotion time, your personal worship, your personal study, your personal time with God. So that's where your primary feeding will be because adults feed themselves. Little babies need someone to feed them and adults can feed themselves. Now, That doesn't mean that church isn't a situation where you can get something good. You know, hallelujah, let it be. But there's a shift that happens. And let me explain that shift just a little bit. As a young Christian, this was certainly my experience when I found churches that were just like so good like going to church was fantastic going to conferences was fantastic it was just amazing the the worship at this one church the worship there was just so good you know it was just like you're just in the presence of god and the preaching was great and it was just like oh And, you know, as a new believer, those moments can be so fantastic. But let me tell you, as the years and the decades go by, it doesn't stay that way. Those can be positive things, but at some point it grows a little bit stale. Now, work with me on this. You know, it's still good to come to church. I hope you get a good experience of coming to church. But there's a transition that happens where people realize that they're not getting the same things out of church and the the group activities than they were before. And this is the moment when you transition from primarily receiving at church to primarily serving at church. So you go from receiving or getting fed to Blessing others, benefiting others, participating, you know, encouraging and strengthening. You're giving, you're serving in church more than you are receiving. You receive primarily in your personal devotional time because adults feed themselves. So if you've been a Christian for more than maybe five years, it's time for you to realize you probably heard a sermon on, you know what, you should read the Bible before. It's not going to be something shocking and new when you listen to the the preacher, you know? Uh, You've probably heard the songs before. You've probably been there. You've done that. It's just not the same. That's when instead of complaining about the church and going, I'm not getting fed and then running off somewhere else to get fed and try to stay a spiritual baby with somebody spoon feeding you. Instead, you get fed in your personal times with God, and then you come to church to serve, to be a blessing, to help others. If you don't make that transition, you get bored and then you start to fall away or you get just yucky. And that's not good. Our vision statement is reach up, rise up, reach out. If you don't get to the reach out where you're serving, where you're giving, where you're participating in the kingdom work, then you're not going to get fed more. Go feed yourself. You know, it's not your calling to go get fed. Your calling is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Anyway, bottom line with that, when you start feeling like church just isn't doing it for me anymore, don't go running around trying to find a new baby Christian experience for yourself. Realize this is where I transition into serving instead of just receiving. So there you go. Number one, adults feed themselves. Number two, there is a Bible reading learning curve. When I first picked up a Bible and somebody said, Hey, you should read this Bible. And I said, okay. And he said, where do you want to start? And I said, I don't know the beginning. He said, how about the beginning of the new Testament? Let's start you off in the book of Matthew, which is great because if I had started in Genesis and then been working through the Pentateuch and all that stuff, I think I would have probably stopped. But in the new Testament, I was able to understand to some extent what the book of Matthew was all about. It just, takes time to learn this stuff. I love the the little acronym you know Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth you know that 's cool, but you just open this up to any page and it might be something that doesn 't even make any sense to you at all. so you need to learn the context, you need to learn what 's going on and let me just give you a brief description of what the New Testament has, so the New testament. Is in the timeline, the last books of the Bible that were written, and they were written from the time of Jesus into the early church, from basically just around the time of the birth of Christ to maybe a hundred years-ish later, where you've got the early church going and all that stuff. So that first century is where Uh, the new Testament comes from. And the first four books of the new Testament are what we call the gospels. And these are accounts for separate accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. There's overlap in there, but there's also dispersion in there. So there's the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. And then there's the book of acts, which is written by Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. And that is the historical account of the early church. Then You've got all these different letters written from different people to other people, and some are written to even an individual, some are written to churches, some are written to just whoever out there wants to hear. And so, you've got all these letters you know, 1st and 2nd Corinthians are letters from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And we think, okay, well, it's written to a group, Uh, these are things we can glean the information from. It's not just for Corinth and doesn't apply at all for us today. Yeah, it probably applies to us today as well. But you understand this was written to a specific group of people who were doing specific things. And that's why it's written that way. The letter to the Galatians was written to a different group of people. And so different things were emphasized. So when you understand there's all these letters being written back and forth, and then you've got the book of Revelation, which is prophecy, you know, talking about all kinds of end times things. These are all different sorts of things. And you have to understand the context. Then you go to the Old Testament, you got poetry, you got history, you got all kinds of stuff in the Old Testament. So there is a learning curve with that. Some of it can be kind of confusing as you're reading through the scriptures. And I would just say, let it simmer. You know, the stew will come together over time. You can read stuff, not really know what you're reading, and that's okay. I've spent a lot of time in that spot. So adults feed themselves. There is a Bible reading learning curve. Number three, you want to find a balance between inspiration and discipline. So I asked my wife, Trinette, about her Christian childhood when working on this sermon, because, you know, I was like, you know, maybe some... Christian kids have a bad experience with the Bible because kind of shoved down their throat, that sort of a thing. And so I asked her, what what was it like as a kid? And she's, she just got a little wispy look on her face. And she talked about uh, her parents reading out of a Bible picture book when she was little and she'd climb up in their laps and they'd read the picture Bible. And she just thought that was awesome. And she talked about when she was a teenager, the the scriptures were finally coming to life for her as she's reading it by herself and she's highlighting different things. And, and she just said, Lord, I just want to read your Bible. I, I wish that I didn't have to go to school tomorrow. And then the next day was a snow day. So she spent the whole day reading the Bible and <laughs> highlighting things. And, and uh, you know, that's just super, super cool. And I just thought, well, that's neat. But those are times of inspiration where it's exciting and fun. There are also some dry times. My wife and I went to a Bible study one time that just, I mean, it just wore us out. It damaged our ability to read the scriptures. It was so dry. If it's only discipline with no inspiration, you know, I'm going to read this because I'm supposed to, then it can be dry and dead and that's not good. So we don't want to be only disciplined But if you're only waiting for inspiration, then I don't feel inspired to read my Bible today. And then, well, not this month and not this year. You know, you have to have some discipline in there too. So find a balance between the discipline of reading your scriptures and then getting as much time of inspiration as possible. Because that's beautiful, beautiful stuff. And if you're looking for a way to get started, You know, we do video daily devotions where we read through the scriptures. So our YouTube channel, you can find that on goodhope.ag, our website as well. So I encourage you to do that. And then also, you know, take five minutes to pray for five people five times a week. Do your five video devotions a week. You're good to go. There's a way to be disciplined, have a routine. And then I pray that that would bring some inspiration as well. So adults feed themselves. There is a Bible reading learning curve. We need to balance inspiration and discipline. The fourth one is this. If you miss it by a little, you can be a lot wrong. (laughs) So as you're reading through the scriptures, if you miss it by just a little bit, you might be a lot wrong. And that's a scary thought. If you miss it by a little, you might be a lot wrong. John 18, this is talking about Jesus being arrested. I'll just read this quick. So we'll, we'll pick it up where they're trying to arrest Jesus. Verse seven. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So Peter, so close. Should you defend Jesus? Yeah. Should you stand up for Jesus? Yeah. Should you be loyal to Jesus? Yeah. Should you be willing to give your life for Jesus? Yeah. What does that mean? Hit somebody in the head with a sword. That's what that means. Jesus is like, no, (laughs) so close. A little bit off can make you a lot wrong. And I tell you, as Christians, we don't want to be hitting people in the head with swords. You know, be just about there, but miss it. The other person in this little section is Caiaphas. He missed it by a little. Caiaphas, if we jump down to first, verse 14, he was the high priest. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. And I'm just going to jump back to chapter 11, where we see that come forth, uh, starting in verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. This is the reference we're talking about. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. The high priest of Israel prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Like that's the New Testament. Next verse. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. (laughs) So like, all right, well, let's kill him then. So close, Caiaphas, so close. If you miss it by a little, you can be a lot wrong. So don't jump to conclusions. Let different biblical concepts blend. Don't run with partial truths. Don't throw out foundational truths like love your neighbor and the unity of the believers for your pet theological detail. You know, If you miss it by a little, you can be a lot wrong. So you want to be careful. And the last one is help other people. You know, help other people. Parents, help your kids fall in love with the scriptures. Let's say you've got a Bible study group where it's peers, you know, college age, high school age, adults. Doesn't matter. You can encourage each other and strengthen each other. It's just so important. You know, and I just want to say as a dad to the dads out there, help your kids fall in love with the scriptures. Don't give them too much discipline with zero inspiration, but don't just wait for something good to happen either. Let's have inspiration and discipline. That's just from me to you, man, do that, help them out that way. And I want to go to Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. That's what that's all about. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's encourage and strengthen each other. Dads, do that for your kids. Do that for your friends. Everybody, help each other grow in the scriptures. I hope this was helpful. Having a good relationship with the scriptures is very, very important. And I want to finish up with uh, 2 Timothy chapter three, this time it'll be verses 14 through 17. Paul is writing to Timothy, this young leader, and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's study the scriptures. I see Bible reading as a big part of discipleship. To me, discipleship is just learning how to be a Christian. Read the scriptures. They're powerful. They will help you learn what they have to say and you can go from there. So let's pray and uh, let's just believe God to have a vibrant healthy relationship with the Holy Scriptures. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and you don't leave us here to just try to figure it out. But Lord, we need help understanding. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to understand what your word has to say. Lord, help us to get the lies out of our head that we've believed and the False teachings out of our head that cause us to misinterpret what you have to say in your scriptures. And Lord, let your spirit just bring forth all truth in our hearts and our minds. So Lord, bless us with this as we seek you. And if you're listening and you've not given your life to Christ, now is your time. Ask for forgiveness, pledge your life to Jesus, and you will become a child of God with everlasting life, and you can learn these ways and walk in them. So Father, I pray your blessings on each one. Let your peace, your grace, your mercy, your love, and your joy be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.